Hello. It's good to be with you today. Glad you're here. Glad we're through almost one of these summer months, yeah? Um, and uh, yeah, so we're going to be in the book of Job again today because we think it's so fun. Um, Job chapter 13, if you want to grab a Bible and turn there. And um, we live in some lively times. I've been choosing to use that word so I don't complain. Some people might say polarizing. Some people might say divisive. Some people might use cuss words. Um, but I'm using the word lively. It's a lively time we live in. And uh, what's interesting is the Bible says in Proverbs um, that in the multitudes of words there is much sin, which is a real fun you know, verse for pastors and preachers to, to read and come across. It's like, oh, no. Um, but there's a lot, there's a lot of words, um, out there in our world, and, and so it's just interesting, because I try and prepare some words for these Sunday mornings, and it's not every Sunday, but it seems like a lot of Sundays recently, I'll prepare a message from the scriptures of what to preach, but then something will happen that week, and then I'll have to kind of prepare some words to address that. And then, and then get to this. And so, you know, one example was last Sunday. Last Sunday, you know, I'm excited about the book of Job. I hadn't taught for four weeks, so I was just like, come on, we're going to Job this place out. And, uh, and then I was like, oh, yeah, it's Father's Day, you know. And it's Juneteenth. And it's like, okay, 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 okay. Um, and so I... I uh, I tried to, you know, figure out some things. And, and every, every situation is a little bit tricky. You know, like Father's Day um, is, is a day worth celebrating. It's an awesome day. Fatherhood, it's, you know, it's biblical. It's, God's basically the one who came up with the idea <laughs> of, of being a father. And fathers are very powerful and good. But, you know, it's also a day where there takes a little bit of nuance, a little bit of um, consideration because there are some dads in the room or some, or some men in the room who really would like to be dads and aren't able to for a number of reasons. Um, or there's people that fathers, the word father is really a painful word for. So then you, you kind of have to navigate that a bit and, and we all have to like, you know, kind of be gracious with each other as we process through that. And Juneteenth, you know, Juneteenth is definitely a day in American history that is worth celebrating, what it commemorates. Um, it's a wonderful day when kind of justice and mercy were able to wash over the nation in a beautiful thing. But there's a little nuance and a little um, trick to that with some people wanting to go different ways with that. And so it's a bit of a balancing act. And, uh, and so then we got, we, we got through that and it seemed, seemed to be good. And, and then I was like, all right, now I'm just going to job it up this Sunday. Yeah. And... <laughs> And then, uh, you know, there was some news that came out um, from the Supreme Court. And uh, so, we live in lively times. And this is what I'll read. Uh, I wrote something just to kind of, you know, frame a little bit of where maybe my heart is and, and my best guess at where the Lord's maybe trying to get us to, to the place um, where we should be in regards to this. But, uh, but it's tricky, you know, and I, and I know that. And so, as always, my email is david at livingstreams.org, <laughs> and uh, I really do love to hear from people what they're wrestling with. 
as long as they're wrestling with God, as long as they're wrestling with the scriptures, and all, as long as they're willing to wrestle with, with me and the community that we have, I love it, you know? And, and, and if, but if you want to just, you know, like argue and fight and, and kind of, you know, do all of that, I'm fine with that too, but at least let's, let's have a little kind of honest, kind wrestling, and then we, we can go there if we want to. But, um, so really do feel free to email me and Trust me, I am so aware that in a multitude of words, there's, a, there's much sin, no doubt about it. But here's some words. So the new Supreme Court decision regarding abortion feels like a huge political win for unborn babies. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And for those who feel called to stand up for and be a voice for unborn babies. No doubt about that. But let's make sure it's a big win for women in challenging situations and children who are born into those challenging situations as well. <laughs> Never know what's going to happen. But, but yeah, the political narratives um, can make us think that what is good for unborn babies is bad for women, but that doesn't have to be true. I believe God can show us the way to do right by women and unborn children at the same time. I believe in a God who loves to make a way where the way seems difficult. I, I, I think that's what he's in the business of. He's been doing it all the time. Yeah, come on now. This is good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and his way is narrow, and few there be that find it. And, and I understand that as well. So it does take a lot of work for us um, as, as followers of Christ to find that way. It's not natural to us, maybe, um, but it's, it takes a lot of good work, rightly dividing the Word of God and really walking together and, and, and longing for the unity of the Spirit above everything else. Um, but He can show us the way. And I don't think the political decisions or narratives are the main ways that God will use to bring about His way, even though I think they're important and valuable, no doubt about it. But I think each one of us Doing justly, loving mercy, and learning to walk humbly with our God is really a good place to start. Yeah, and those words need unpacking, no doubt about it, but, but that is, that's, that's what God has required of us as people, that we really do justice. We figure out what that is, but at the same time, we realize that if we're going to find justice, we're going to have to love mercy because none of us really deserve it. And that in the end, we all need to walk real humbly with God if we're going to get to see this. So Choices Pregnancy Center um, here in Phoenix, Arizona, is our go-to partner for everything regarding women's pregnancy health. Anybody heard of Choices? Oh, yeah. Choices is awesome. Um, and Choices is walking out God's heart for women and unborn babies at the same time in a beautiful way. And guess what? They didn't do it in response to the recent SCOTUS decision. They've been doing it for years, like many other people. So I think you should check them out. You should volunteer for them. You should support them. You should write a million-dollar check for them. You should learn from them whether your heart is stirred with joy or sorrow based on the SCOTUS decision. These people and what they're doing is beautiful. And there's others as well. This week, I plan to write an email to our church with some pastoral thoughts about this cultural moment which will solve all the problems. 
and have much sin in it. Um, no, I really am because, I mean, I, I'm a pastor and I'm trying to do my best to get God's heart and share that and I'm not claiming I'm right all the time, but, um, but I'm going to do that. And if you'd like to receive that email, you can email me at david at livingstreams.org and say, yeah, give me your best shot. Um, or you can fill out one of those connection cards in the pew and there's a little box you can mark for David's weekly email. Um, I'm going to give it a shot. Also, Ryan Romeo, um, he's setting up a podcast interview with a panel of women who are educationally and experientially experts in the area of abortion. A couple of them have worked and volunteered for Choices for many years, and another has had an abortion, spent her entire career as an OBGYN MD, and has been with countless women regarding abortion. What she has to say is not, you know, born out of some political narrative or even some just kind of philosophical idea. What she has to say is born out of the fires of being in those challenging situations with countless women. And so I'm really excited to hear what this podcast has to say. Uh, will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are above all Overall and somehow in all, Lord. And we thank you that you're with us. And we thank you for all the good that this decision by the Supreme Court can bring for unborn babies. Please show us what we and our political leaders can do to make sure this is also good for women and the children they give birth to as well. And Lord, please help us get better at doing justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with you every day of our lives. Please help our Supreme Court and governmental leaders to hear from you and to always serve your purposes in our country. We need you, Jesus. And we thank you that no matter what judgment may come, you taught us that mercy triumphs over judgment. And so I pray that we would be a church rich in mercy. Just like you are. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Everybody's still here. I was wondering when I opened my eyes if it would be empty. Um, that's cool. I see people walking out right now. No, just kidding. Um, so... Let's get into the book of Job. We'll start out with something a little, a little lighter. Hopefully this is a little fun for you. But you've heard of roasts, you know, when famous people, I guess, invite other famous people to make fun of them, and then they get to respond to them, and it's really fun to have this thing called a roast. But in the book of Job, if you've, if you've been tracking with us, these middle portions, there's kind of this cyclical, like Job expresses how he feels, his friends respond to that, Job responds to the fawns, response, 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 long dialogue. But in here, it's, it, if you keep reading, it, it starts to get a little saucy. You know, it's like, it's the Bible, yes, it's ancient text, it's poetic, it's all these things, but it's just so interesting to start to hear what these guys have to say. So Bildad, at one point, he says to Job, how long will you say such things? Your words are a blustering wind, which is like a huge burn back then, I guess. When your children sinned against God, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. Now that's intense because his children died at a young age. 
It's getting serious here. Zophar, he calls Job an idle talker who needs a rebuke. He says, I can't believe what I'm hearing from you, Job. You've put my teeth on edge, my stomach in a knot. How dare you insult my intelligence like this? Well, here's a piece of my mind. And then he goes into his response to basically describe to Job why he's suffering all the things he's suffering. And it's his fault. Eliphaz says, you are full of empty notions and hot east wind. It was a big deal back then, you know, being in the, in the east and hot winds. We know about all that. Your words are useless and your speeches have no value. You have a sinful mouth and a crafty tongue. Are you the first man ever born? Were you brought forth before the hills? We got the gray-haired on our side, which is fun, right? We got the gray-haired on our side. You don't hear that a lot in our day and age. <laughs> but it's cool. I like it. I like it. And then Job's responses are super sarcastic, which is kind of fun. In Job 12, he says, I'm sure you speak for all the experts, and when you die, there'll be no one left to tell us how to live. It's <laughs> good, right? That's good. I've had all I can take of your talk. What a bunch of miserable comforters you are. Is there no end to your windbag speeches, right? A little more of that wind stuff. They love that. In Job 26, he says, well, you've certainly been a great help to a helpless man. You came to the rescue just in the nick of time. <laughs> What wonderful advice you have given to me, a mixed-up man. What amazing insights you've provided. Where in the world did you learn all of this? How did you become so inspired? I love that. It's like Job is hearkening his teenage daughter, and he's speaking out of that. <laughs> so anyways, that's a little bit of this middle section. So what are we doing in the book of Job? Why are we spending time in the middle section? Why are we reading ancient, 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 ancient text, let alone ancient, 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 ancient poetry that just seems to meander and wander and all of these things? Well, it's Ryan's fault. <laughs> this, this was his dis decision. This was his sermon series that he was crafting. It's all his fault. <laughs> He's not here today, so I could say that. Um... But he's so right. And the way that he has set up this sermon series, and I'm being honest with you here, like he had an idea for this. He took us through kind of a process. We're, we're trying to go through that. And I, I will tell you, in my 27 years of really being serious about following Christ and studying the Bible, this is the first time I felt like I've found new places in the book of Job of deep meaning and beauty. And I'm so thankful for it. It's not easy. It's not easy at all, but it's been so rich for me, and I'm, I'm really thankful for it. Um, and basically, the poetry and all these things, most people, when they teach the book of Job, they go Job 1, they go Job 2, and then they go Job 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. And this whole middle section, they're just like, yeah, you, sh you can read it on your own time or something like that. But we're, like, we're going into the dialogue. Alex spent some time there. This is now my second week just talking about Job's words in that middle section. And what Maya Angelou said about poetry, I think, is so true that I've learned from people that they'll forget what you said, they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And there's something about poetry, there's something about diving in and wrestling with poetry that ignites somehow our imagination, our emotions, and it makes us feel a little differently than, than regular text. And so this book of Job, if you're willing to, to wade into there, if you're willing to kind of go into that space and let those words kind of evoke in you all these different things, it's going to be interesting how it will be impactful. 
Because in, in poetic words, you can say a lot more with fewer words. And I also think of the time where one of the disciples described that when Jesus spoke to them, they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us along the road? And so my prayer is that we really get to the end of this study and we're like, we really enjoyed the book of Job because our hearts burned within us as we found and discovered what Job's, the heart of Job was, what God was intending by preserving this book for all these years. And not just chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 38 through 42. So stick with us. Stay in there. Stay in there. Stay in there. It is a book of wrestling. And, uh, and so we are wrestling. So Job's words, last week we talked about um, the 90% of Job's words are really lament. It's him describing how he feels. Um, and, you know, he's not feeling great. So if you want a message that really, you know, describes someone not feeling great, you should go listen to it. It's good advertisement right there. <laughs> um, but in that, we discovered where God was meeting him in that space. And this week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Job's words again, same words, but we're going to look at the 10%. And the 10% of Job's words that don't describe how he feels describe what he wants, what he longs for, what he's praying for. And somehow in here, we get the kind of prayers the book of Job is teaching us to pray. So let's jump into the words of Job. We're going to start in Job 13. But I desire to speak to the Almighty and to argue my case with God. So again, in this kind of dialogue formation, as he's responding to something that was said to him, and he's doing mostly lamenting, in there, if, you, if, you, if, you just, if you're not paying attention, you can zoom right past it. But in here, he shifts from this kind of, this is what I feel, to say, this is what I desire. I want to speak to the Almighty and argue my case with God. Even though he's at the point where he's realizing that God has turned on him, that God is shooting arrows into him as he describes. He's saying, what I really long for is I long to be able to speak with God. Let's go on. Job 13, 13 through 18. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? Though he slay me, yet I will trust or hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance, for no godless person would dare come before him. Listen carefully to what I say. Let my words ring in your ears. Now that I have prepared my case, I know I will be vindicated. So in this, he's describing again. He, he's, it's this tough situation. He doesn't understand what's going on, but he just wants to be able to speak with God. And he knows that if he can speak with God, he will get vindicated. In the end, he will know that God and him will come to an agreement and it'll make sense and it'll be right and it'll be good. So this is what he desires. He desires to be vindicated. Job 13, 20 through 22. Only grant me these two things, God, and then I will not hide from you. Withdraw your hand from me and stop frightening me with your terrors. Then summon me and I will answer or let me speak and you reply to me. This is so interesting because he is wounded deeply. The God that he trusts, the God that felt like father and friend for all those years now feels like stranger or enemy. And he's at the point where he's in so much pain where he's basically saying, God, I want two things. The first thing is, would you leave me alone? Stop tormenting me with terrors at night. 
withdraw your hand of judgment or pain or whatever it is that's on me. I used to feel your hand of mercy, and now I feel this other hand. Would you please stop that? But notice this. This is so different. He wants two things. The first is that God would withdraw that hand, but then that God would summon him and draw him close and let him speak to him. And this is so important right here, you guys, because when we're wounded by the people we should be trusting, when we're wounded by church, when we're wounded by all these things, and ultimately it feels like God is the one that wounded us. Yes, there is a temptation to say, I don't want to deal with God. I don't want to have anything to do with him. Job is not saying that. Job is saying, I want you to stop hurting me. I want to stop experiencing this pain and this grief and this confusion. But after that, I want, I want to come back to you. I want you. I want to keep pursuing you. I want to draw near to you. Whereas a lot of times people say, God, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm out. I'm going on my own. I'm going to look to something else. And yet Job maintains his righteousness throughout because even though he's saying, God, I need a break from you. It's too painful what you're doing to me. Yet as soon as that happens, I want to be able to be close to you. He never stopped pursuing, who, pursuing God, trusting in God. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Job 14, 13 through 17 is similar. It says, if only you would hide me in the grave and conceal me till your anger has passed. If only you would set a time and then remember me. If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then you will count my steps but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag and you will cover over my sin. Basically what he's saying here is like, God, I'm at the point now where I don't want you to just stop shooting me with your arrows. He's like, could you just bury me under the ground? Basically, could you just kill me? But even then he says, and then will you bring me close? Then will you allow my renewal to come? Somehow Job is so fascinating how he can have this resilient faith and trust. Even in the midst of all of this, even after death, he's asking this question. There's got to be something after death. If you're going to kill me, if all of these diseases, all of these boils, all this thing is going to result in my death, I still believe that somehow after that you're going to make things right. And that's really what I long for, God. Even more than being buried in the grave, I long for ultimately to be with you. That you would long for the creature your hands have made. That I will wait for my renewal and you will call and I will answer you. And you cover up my sin. Job 16, 18 through 21. Earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of a man he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. This is fascinating right here. Basically track with me here. Job has never read the book of Job. All right? Figured that one out all by myself. Um, he's never read the book of Job. We have. We read chapters 1 and 2. So we have an insight that Job does not have. But somehow, through it all, Job feels like God used to be my father and friend. Now he feels like enemy. And what Job is saying and suggesting in some of this is it almost seems like someone 
came into the picture between me and God and convinced God to act differently towards me. Now again, we know about chapter one and two where we're told, and there was God, and he was kind of having all of the angels report to him, and there was this one angel, the created being, whose name was Hasatan, and yes, it's where we got our fuller understanding of who Satan is, but in this sense, it's just Hasatan, it's not a proper name, no development, it just means the adversary angel. Like there was one angel that God created that was, had the job of being the adversary. I know, I didn't write the book. It's bizarre. But this adversary angel comes and reports to God and God's like, have you noticed Job? He's awesome. It, he is the real deal. And the adversary angel, which we talked last week, is the adversary of God, is the adversary of humanity, is the adversary of genuine faith. Obviously not adversary of God because, you know, he's created being and all these things. But, but, but here he is, this adversary. And he says, yeah, God, the only reason that Job is loving you is because you give him all those goodies. Let me take the goodies away and he'll curse you to your face. And God's like, all right, let's do it. And we all go, What? And Job is somehow saying in this, he's like, it seems like something has gotten in between. Someone has come and convinced God to pull his hand of mercy from me. And what he's saying in here, listen to what he says. This is what he says. Even now my witness is in heaven, my advocate is on high, my intercessor is my friend. He pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. He's longing for an advocate, an intercessor, a witness, someone that would come into the scene between him and God, and be able to convince God to put his hand of mercy back on Job. This is ancient, 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 ancient text. Ancient, 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 ancient poetry. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ right there. Jesus Christ became God incarnate, lived a sinless life, died on the cross from our sins, rose from the dead so that he could be our advocate on high. So that as the accuser of the brethren comes and begins to tell God about all the horrible things we've done, Jesus comes in and says, hey, I took care of that. I took care of that. Charge that to my account. He's washing my blood. He's taken care of. It's time for mercy. This is Job. It's not New Testament. It's Old Testament. It's old, old, old Testament. People think it's the oldest of the Old Testament. But I think that's just so amazing that somehow through all the pain, that's what was stirring up in Job's heart, a longing for Mashiach, a longing for a Messiah, a longing for someone that could come and bridge the gap. Oh, it's good stuff. Job 19. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end I will, he, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. What is his heart yearning for? Interestingly enough, that his words would be recorded. 2022. Phoenix, Arizona, chumps like you and I, we're like still fulfilling this. It's amazing. In all this agony and pain, Job was praying these prayers that were so in line with God's heart, God brought about them all. 
And then Job 23, this is the last one in case you're about to die. If only I knew where to find him. If only I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would find out what he would answer me and consider what he would say to me. Would he vigorously oppose me? No. He would not press charges against me. There the upright can establish their innocence before him, and there I would be delivered forever from my judge. Basically, he's saying, I just long to be with him. No matter how much pain I have to go through, that's what I want. I want to go be able to stand before my judge, and I want to feel his mercy again. I just want the hand of God's mercy to be on me again. I just want my father and friend back. And he holds on to this hope that no matter what he has to go through, whether God continues to cause him to suffer, whether God kills him, that in the end he's going to get to stand before him and he's going to get to find and receive God's mercy. So what is Job longing for? Mercy. He longs for mercy. Basically, Job wants four things. He wants to be close to God. And God gave Job an answer in Job 38. He said, God, I want to hear from you. Job 38, we can't get into that. That's future sermons, so stay here. He wanted to see God face to face. Job 42, 5, my ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, Job says. Got to stay here. I want to go there. It's so exciting. His words have been inscribed forever. We're reading them. And Job wanted that witness, that advocate, that intercessor, and his name is Jesus. And he wasn't just given to Job, he was given to every single one of us. It's so awesome. So, Job's friends would all agree. In the beginning, they thought this. Job's friends continued to think this. Job began to wrestle with that there's got to be more than this. But they would all believe that it's important for us to do justly, that God is a God of justice. No doubt about it. You see that, a consistent theme throughout the whole book of Job. And that's really his friend's arguments over and over and over is God is just, therefore, Job, if you would have done right, you'd be blessed, but you've done wrong, so you're you're, you're experiencing cursing. And Job's like, yeah, I get that, but something else is happening here. And that takes us to the next one. So one, we have to do justly, but what Job learned through his suffering was he learned to love and long for mercy. Mercy. His friends were never able to go there. And that's why they got a big old slap in the face from God at the end. Ah, don't give it away. But somehow in all of this, Job learned to long for mercy. Justice is awesome, and God's so into it. But you know what God's more into? Mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. And somehow God accomplishes both at the same time. That's the whole beauty of the cross. On the cross, Jesus accomplished perfect justice, but completely covered in perfect mercy. He made justice accessible to every single one of us who doesn't deserve justice by his mercy. And so we got to be people who do justly and fight for justice, but we got to be people who love and long for mercy. And then what all Job's friends and Job learned when God came in the whirlwind and just did like kung fu chops all over them, was they learned to walk more humbly with God. 
And that, I think, is a big theme of the book of Job. All this poetic, all this kind of epic, you know, almost theatrical or courtroom drama that's going on is all trying to get us to a point where we'll do justly, but we'll love mercy and we'll walk more humbly with our God. And uh, this last week I went with a friend. He's just kind of felt this call from God to go and, and, uh, and just find people in a certain neighborhood and, and, and serve them. And so I said I'd love to go with him sometime. Um, and so we went out, and I was thinking we'd go early, and he was said about 9, and then we had some prayer time, and then it was 10 o'clock, and I was like, it's 1,000 degrees outside. What are we doing here? Um, but then we went out, and basically we had some interactions with people who've made the streets their home. And, uh, and it, was, it was really neat um, to, to just get to know some of their stories and to see some of the, the way that their community works and how they care for each other. There was one lady who had this, um, this like weed pump sprayer, pump sprayer. You know what I'm talking about? Home Depot. You pump the little sprayer and then it like sprays out or whatever. And she was literally going around to all the people and she had like cool water in there. And she was just spraying their backs and spraying it over their heads. And they were just like, <gasps> everyone was loving it. It was so cool. And she just literally was just spraying everybody all around. And I was like, look at you. You're like a little mercy lady. You know, you're just out here, just all the heat, all the struggle. You're just out there just a little shower of mercy on people. And she, she smiled. And, and, uh, and then this other guy I was talking to, he was like, what you got here to spit, man? That's what he said. And I was like, <laughs> um, I said, we're really just out here to kind of get to know some people and, you know, see, see how everyone's doing. And, and, and I said, I, we did pray before we came. And, and while we were praying, I told him the story that, that when we were praying, I, I just had this, sense that God was telling me, hey, the people you're going to talk to, they know the score. They know a lot about justice and judgment. But I want you to help them know is about mercy and forgiveness. And so I told him that, and he was like, he's like, oh, okay, okay, okay. And then he described to me how he is just out of prison and how he's very aware of judgment punishment. He knows the score. He knows he's down by a thousand. And we started talking a little more because he was opening up and his heart was kind of shifting a little bit. And, and I was like, hey, do you think Jesus died on the cross just for the little sins? Or do you think he died for the big ones too? And he kind of smiled a little bit and he's like, well, I think it says he died for the big ones too. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. He did. He died for every, every one of them. And I said, there's another verse in the Bible that talks about God's mercy and how every single morning his mercies are new. And when I said that, he's, something stirred in him. And he started to get a little emotional and he started to get a little uncomfortable. And it was just so beautiful to watch just a word of mercy not land on him like a cool water on his neck, but a, a word of mercy and hope begin to kind of just hit deep in that wounded, wounded heart. And it was like this little flicker of a moment where he thought, maybe, maybe, maybe God is able to forgive me. Maybe my life of cursing can shift to become a life of mercy. And it was interesting because you could tell he was starting to get uncomfortable because he was stirred up a little bit. And I was like, hey, man, you know, 
you know, can I pray for you? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know. And he said, what, what church? You, I heard you talk about a church. I was like, yeah, we're just a church down the street. You can come anytime. We got church on Sunday, and we'll, you know, we could create a little heat relief for you two in the afternoons. And he was like, he's like, okay, I'm going to come. And he's like, well, I, I'm not good at commitment, but I'm going to come. I was like, no worry, man, no worry. <laughs> no worries at all. No worries at all. But it was just this beautiful thing where he, he is so familiar with judgment, and he knows the judgment. He knows, he knows he doesn't have a chance. But then when this idea of mercy came, and mercy can make a way where judgment doesn't have the final word, but mercy can triumph over judgment, it's like, okay, let's talk about that, because I don't really have any other options. And that's ultimately what Job got to. He was longing for mercy, and what he found was God is full and rich in mercy. And so for us, I think we definitely need to do justly. We've got to figure out what it means to love mercy and keep walking humbly with God. And a couple of things just for how to love mercy. So what should we go, go and do when we leave this place? We should love mercy, which I think means we share mercy. We surprise people with mercy. We, we kind of picture ourselves with that little like weed sprayer full of mercy and we just go and we try and spray as much mercy on people as we can. You know, the ones that, that deserve it, but, but especially the ones that we know don't deserve it. You know, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our kids with our spouses, oh, it's getting harder, <laughs> with our parents, with maybe people of different ideologies or persuasions than you. And again, this, it's not mercy without justice. It's, it's justice, but mercy overcoming. And it's, a, and it's a tricky thing to do, but God is there to help us. And I think sometimes we also need to just give yourself a little mercy. Don't be harder on yourself than God is. Some of you Enneagram 1s, you need to hear that. <laughs> and don't be harder on other people than God is. Remember, His mercies are new every single day. And so our mercies should be new every single day. You know who's awesome about that is my wife. She just does not keep score. She could be so mad at you, you want to tell your face off. And then like an hour later, she's like, you want to get some ice cream? And I'm like, Ugh. but she just, she just doesn't hold it, which is awesome. And just in case you're confused by the word mercy, one of the main ingredients is just kindness. It's just straight up kindness. And it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. So it's powerful too. It's not a soft kind of frail kindness. It's a powerful kindness. Let's pray. Jesus, we do thank you so much that um, you decided to not only be about justice and judgment because we would be in a real tight spot. But I thank you that you are a God full of mercy, rich in mercy, who sent your son to die on a cross to make us all have access to mercy. And so I pray, Lord, as we go this week, that we would look for people who need to know about your mercy, who need to feel your mercy. And we would allow that to come out. I pray that when we see someone showing mercy, I pray that we would acknowledge it, we would celebrate it, we would highlight it. And Lord, I pray for the people in the room who really need to experience your mercy right now. 
they feel like there's been a hand of heaviness or judgment or shame or guilt or fear that's just been weighing them down. I pray that today, Lord, somehow you would break through and they would feel your hand of mercy rest upon their heart and their mind. Thank you, Lord. Amen.